This CosmicReality.com presentation is sponsored by MysticalWares.com. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality, a production of CosmicReality.com. Hello and welcome to this week's Cosmic Creating Show. My name is Jan Shaw. I'm the Success Alchemist. You can find me at the successalchemist.net, thewebalchemist.net, empoweredmanifestation.com, on YouTube and Facebook, Jan Shaw the Success Alchemist, on Twitter at Coach Jan Shaw, on Telegram, US UK Patriot, and on Truth Social, Success Alchemist. Today is the 10th of December 2022 and the title of today's show is Weekly Roundup More Twitter Files Arizona Lawsuits Filed. So again this week I'm going to start with uh, a weekly report by Tom Renz. I shared this I think it was last week for the first time and it really kind of sums up what's been going on in the week and then I'll go into more detail on the topics I've covered in the title. So this was published today and it says more died suddenly the Griner debacle more Twitter and Twitter files 2.0 and State Department censorship exposed incidentally this is uh, tomrens.substack.com and I have a paid subscription to his Substack so I'm not sure that this will be available um, should you go and look for it um, but hopefully you'll get everything you need from my reading of it. From women working out in Ecuador to an NBA announcer in Atlanta to a police chief's son, people worldwide are still dying suddenly. What most people fail to understand is that by taking the jab, not only have they taken a gene therapy, but they're also ticking time bombs. Sadly, the total death count from the clot shots will only increase over time. Fortunately, some of the deaths are leading to people waking up. Hopefully this trend continues and people stop taking these injections, which not only don't work, but might end up killing you. It's high time to hold those responsible accountable. Speaking of time and time served, the Biden administration just flipped off patriotic Americans with both hands again this week, exchanging an admitted dope-smoking basketball player who had served four months of a nine-year sentence for perhaps the world's deadliest arms dealer who has American blood on his hands, while leaving behind Marine Paul Wellen, who has been unjustly imprisoned in a Russian penal colony for four years. Somebody got smoked in that deal and it wasn't Russia. Once again, Biden has made a laughing stock of the United States. And it wasn't simply poor negotiating on the part of the Biden administration. No, this was planned to push the insidious, invidious, insufferable woke agenda. Take a look at Nancy Pelosi crowing over how the basketball player and her wife can celebrate the holidays without worrying if their marriage is protected. No word on Pelosi's thoughts about Paul Wellen's family. And incidentally, this is me now, um, they're all talking about uh, Brittany Griner being a female lesbian when actually she is a trans man. Um, she's male. So this is all silly woke spinning. Um, continuing on, with this latest treachery, the Biden administration has proven that we are correct to call it Obama 3.0. Readers will recall that Obama traded five terrorists detained in Guantanamo, four of whom immediately assumed leadership positions in the Taliban, fighting American forces in Afghanistan, for America-hating deserter and possible traitor Bo Bergdahl. Another instance of Democrats looking for ways to push their false agenda and at the same time undermine America's standing in the world. Elon Musk went hard in the paint this week after last week's release of the first tranche of the Twitter papers 
Elon learnt on Sunday that corrupt former FBI general counsel and Twitter deputy general counsel James Baker scrubbed the information given to Matt Taby of anything that showed FBI's involvement in censoring Twitter users. Elon reported that Baker was exited from Twitter HQ on Monday after providing an, quote, unconvincing explanation of his actions. Part 2 of the Twitter papers released by Barry Weiss has shown that we were correct when we accused Twitter of shadow banning conservatives. Apparently, Twitter was shadow banning political candidates too. Not surprisingly, facts don't deter inveterate liars like Adam Schiff, but perhaps Elon will. Schiff defamed Twitter this week by spewing a raft of phony statistics to push his latest lie that Twitter is nothing but hate speech since Elon bought it. And Elon shut him down and shut him up with one savage reply tweet. I'm still not certain what I think about Elon, but this was so satisfying. And basically, Elon replied with a statistic that said that um, hate speech was down by, I think, 33%. So it really contradicted Adam Schiff's claims. Finally, also revealed this week by the lawsuit brought against the Biden administration by the Attorneys General of Louisiana and Missouri that the State Department was funding online fact-checkers via the Global Engagement Center, whose job was to censor facts inconvenient to the administration. You might remember that the Global Engagement Center was created as part of the 2016 National Defense Authorization Act, NDAA, that Obama rammed through Congress literally in the middle of the night, after previously ramming through the Smith-Munt Repeal Act as part of the 2012 NDAA. Also in the middle of the night, thus enabling the government to propagandize American citizens on American soil. If the facts of this are as they appear, then the State Department is knowingly and intentionally violating the First Amendment. I cannot overstate the profundity of that statement, nor can I overemphasize the moral, ethical and probably legal obligation the DOJ and Congress would have to stop this if they weren't equally corrupt. It's time for we the people to retake our corrupt nation before it is too late in every peaceful way possible. Just to mention a few other news releases this week. Um, the Dems tried to spin Trump's statement um, about the Twitter files where they claim he was saying we ought to um, set aside the Constitution. That was not what he said at all. He actually said that it was through the election fraud that the Constitution had been set aside. He wasn't saying that he would set it aside. Nothing like that. Um, X-22's take on this is that Trump baited the Democrats to protect the Constitution because everything that they've been doing has been going against the Constitution, as we know, in terms of the First Amendment, the Second Amendment, and so on and so forth. And it's just another example of Trump being a master of setting people up, and it, he exposed their projection. Yesterday, Kirsten Cinema, the Arizona senator announced that she is leaving the Democrat Party and is going independent, which is very interesting, and it's caused quite a stir in the Democrat Party. Um, the other thing that's happened this week, absolutely horrifying, it's more tyranny in New Zealand. In the news, there's been stories about baby Will, a four-month-old baby that needs to have surgery. It doesn't um, say what the surgery is. But his parents have been holding out, demanding that he receives unvaccinated blood uh, during the surgery. And yesterday, I think it was, um, police showed up at the hospital and took baby Will away. And the parents absolutely distraught um, having the baby taken away and potentially given vaccinated blood against their will. I believe that the surgery was supposed to be happening today. So typical Jacinda Arden's tyranny, um, absolutely horrendous. 
I feel so sorry for the poor parents. Now, before I move on to the Twitter files, I just want to shed a little more light on this uh, Brittany Griner exchange. And it seems that the mainstream media, the fake news, have again been twisting the story. Um, this is from con the conservativetreehouse.com. That's unfortunate. NBC reported White House had to choose between Gr Brittany Griner or Paul Wellen. Biden chose Griner. Then NBC changed the report. So what happened was that... Um, the media have been saying, well, it was the only option we had. It was her or nobody. And that is patently not true. The report reads, according to an original article from NBC, the negotiations for the prisoner swap included an exchange for either LGBTQ plus hero Brittany Griner or US former Marine Paul Wellen. The Russians would swap either U.S. citizen for the return of arms dealer Victor Bout. However, the White House would have to decide which American they wanted in return. The White House decided there was greater benefit to getting LGBTQ plus hero Brittany Griner returned and left Paul Wellen in a Russian prison. And it's got a section from this report. It is so important to me that it is clear that we do not begrudge Miss Griner her freedom, David Wellen said. As I have often remarked, Brittany's and Paul's cases were never really intertwined. It has always been a strong possibility that one might be freed without the other. A senior U.S. official told NBC News that the U.S. government had sought to have both Griner and Wellen released as part of a swap with the Kremlin, which wanted the return of Victor Bout, a Russian arms dealer who has served 11 years of a 25-year sentence in the U.S. But the official said Russia has treated Wellen differently because he is an accused spy and that the Kremlin gave the White House the choice of either Griner or Wellen or none. Wellen's Russian lawyer, Vladimir Zarabenkov, also said Thursday that the deal was an exchange of one-to-one, -one, and that choosing Griner appeared more humane because she is a woman and an Olympic champion, while Wellen is in, was in the military and it is easier for him to be in custody. Obviously, this context of the NBC report makes the Biden administration look bad. A political and ideological decision within the selection of the Biden administration preference. Realising this, perhaps after contact from the White House, NBC stealth edited their story after publication in order to eliminate the political problem. And the actual section... Um, that's been changed. It says, but the official said Russia has treated Wellen differently because he is an accused spy and that the Kremlin ultimately gave the White House the choice of either Griner or no one after different options were proposed. Even with the modified and carefully worded changes, it looks like Joe Biden chose the trans basketball player over the former U.S. Marine, which, given the arc of history, does seem to make sense. And this, of course, has uh, made Biden an even bigger laughing stock. There was a Russian broadcast basically talking about the fact that Biden's administration had chosen to exchange a black female lesbian basketball player instead of a Marine. And it was just another indication of their woke agenda. So, you know, another case of Biden bringing the US into disrepute. The other thing that's blown up, though, is the nature of the person who was exchange for Brittany Weiner. He is um, an arms dealer. Natural News actually put out a report, and this was yesterday. I don't know how true this is, but the claim is Biden released international arms dealer Victor Bout to recruit him to offload U.S. weapons for slush fund cash controlled by Dems. Now, that's quite an allegation, um, this guy was involved in working for the US government in 
the Iraq war. There's a tweet in this article from Michael Tracy. Notorious arms dealer Victor Bout, freed today in exchange for Brittany Griner, flew an estimated 1,000 supply missions for the US in the Iraq war. And it's got an article here embedded in the tweet from March 6, 2008. Arrested arms dealers' planes flew US missions in Iraq. And I just saw this morning an announcement from the Pentagon saying they're concerned that Victor Bout could return to his career as an arms dealer. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. So on to the Twitter files. And I'm going to start with um, the news from the beginning of the week. Um, we were all waiting for this second tranche of Twitter files to come out and it was supposed to be happening over the weekend and nothing happened. So we were concerned about well, what's happening, what, why the delay? And then at the beginning of this week, we heard that the Twitter files were being vetted by James Baker. Now, if you've been following my shows reporting on the Durham cases, you'll know that James Baker was deeply involved in Russiagate and the Alpha Bank hoax and everything else. So as a previous um, high-ranking FBI person, you certainly don't want them going through the Twitter files um, to protect the information about the FBI involvement in censorship. Now, it was reported that Elon Musk was unaware of this, although considering um, James Baker's position in the company, he would have thought he would have realised this when he took over the company. But um, obviously, well, says he didn't. But when he discovered this, uh, James Baker was actually fired on Tuesday, I believe. And this article from Epoch Times, Musk says key bits of Twitter files were compromised as he fires ex-FBI Twitter lawyer involved in vetting the data. Twitter boss Elon Musk has revealed that the most important data from the social media platform's internal communications on free speech suppression, known as the Twitter files, was hidden and some may even have been deleted. Musk made the remark in a December 7th tweet in response to former Twitter CEO Jack Dorsey's question as to why the Twitter files were being dropped in instalments instead of being released in their entirety. If the goal is transparency to build trust, why not just release everything without filter and let people judge for themselves, including all discussions around current and future actions? Make everything public now, Dorsey said in a post on Twitter. Dorsey was responding to a series of comments by Musk in which the Tesla CEO told his followers to brace for an upcoming release of episode two of the Twitter files. Musk reacted to Dorsey's remarks by saying that key data had been hidden and possibly scrubbed. Most important data was hidden from you too and some may have been deleted but everything we find will be released, Musk said. The exchange between Twitter's current and former bosses comes hot on the heels of news that Musk apparently fired Twitter's former deputy counsel James Baker, possibly for the alleged role he played in suppressing a Hunter Biden laptop story. Investigative reporter Matt Taby, who with Musk's endorsement posted the first episode of the Twitter files on the platform on December 2nd, suggested that the hold-up with releasing the subsequent part of the disclosures had something to do with Baker's role in vetting the first batch without the knowledge of Twitter's current management free speech suppression. Musk first teased the disclosure of Twitter's internal files on what he described as the company's free speech suppression at the end of November. Days later, Musk shared a thread from Taby which detailed a series of internal Twitter communications dubbed the Twitter files that lifted the lid off the social media platform's machinations around censorship. The explosive disclosures also featured Twitter managers' efforts to block the spread of the Hunter Biden laptop story. 
Republicans had long accused Twitter and some media outlets of suppressing the Hunter Biden laptop story, which included reporting that bolstered claims that the president lied when he said he had no involvement in his son's overseas business dealings. In order to suppress the Hunter Biden report, Twitter executives marked it as unsafe, limiting its spread and even blocking it from being directly shared via the platform's direct message function, Taby said. He also noted that such extreme restrictions were normally reserved for content such as child pornography. Teasing a follow-on release of more information related to Twitter's actions around censorship, Taby said in his thread that there was much more to come. He promised answers to questions around issues like shadow banning, boosting, follow accounts, the fate of various individual accounts and more. Musk initially said a second episode of the disclosures will be released shortly after the first data drop. On December 4th, Musk updated that it looks like we will need another day or so. The hidden or deleted status of some of the Twitter files, as mentioned by Musk, could be affecting the timing of the release of subsequent episodes of the disclosures. I'm going to jump down a bit now because it was going into the first Twitter files release and I covered that last Saturday. Um, so Taby said in a December 6th thread titled Twitter File Supplemental that questions have swirled around the delay of the release of subsequent episodes of the disclosures. We can now tell you part of the reason why. On Tuesday, Twitter Deputy General Counsel and former FBI General Counsel Jim Baker was fired. Among the reasons, vetting the first batch of Twitter files without knowledge of new management, Taby wrote. He explained that after the first set of the files was released, things became complicated as he and journalist Barry Weiss, who was another reporter to whom the Twitter files were disclosed to, struggled with obstacles to new searches. Taby said that it was then discovered that the person in charge of releasing the files was James Baker. Taby then noted Baker's history working for the FBI and his ties to the widely discredited Steele dossier and the allegations that the Trump campaign had a secret back channel to a Russian bank. Baker resigned from the Bureau in 2018 and joined Twitter in 2020. Baker is a controversial figure. He has been something of a zealot of FBI controversies dating back to 2016 from the Steele dossier to the Alpha server mess, Taby said. The news that Baker was reviewing the Twitter file surprised everyone involved, to say the least. New Twitter chief Elon Musk acted quickly to exit Baker Tuesday. Musk took to Twitter to say that Baker was exited from Twitter due to concerns about his possible role in suppression of information important to the public dialogue. Asked if Baker was asked to explain himself first, Musk replied yes. His explanation was unconvincing. So on to Twitter Files 2. And this is again from Epoch Times and it was published on the 8th on Thursday. Elon Musk releases Twitter Files exposing secret blacklists. Barry Weiss, founder and editor of the Free Press, released the second volume of the so-called Twitter files on Thursday, revealing the social media platform's secret blacklists. Weiss has been working with Twitter's new owner, Elon Musk, and independent journalist Matt Taby to disclose internal Twitter information regarding censorship. And it's got a tweet from Elon Musk, the Twitter files part duh. And that's in response to Barry Weiss's thread, uh, the Twitter files part two, Twitter secret blacklists. Twitter's censorship methods, according to Weiss, included placing specific users on a trends blacklist or a search blacklist. The popular libs of TikTok account, as well as Dr. J. Bhattacharya, professor of medicine at Stanford University School of Medicine, are among the users who were secretly added to the trends blacklist by the company. Bhattacharya was put on the list because he stated that children would be harmed by COVID-19 lockdowns. This action stopped his tweets from trending, Weiss said. Conservative talk show presenter Dan Bongino was also put on a so-called search blacklist, Weiss disclosed. 
Weiss also noted that conservative activist Charlie Kirk, founder of Turning Point USA, was put on a do not amplify list. The second instalment comes just a week after Taby published, with Musk's endorsement, details about the social media platform's decision to suppress and censor the New York Post report on the contents of Hunter Biden's laptop in October 2020. The new Twitter files investigation reveals that teams of Twitter employees tweets from trending and actively limit the visibility of entire accounts or even trending topics, all in secret without informing users, Wise said on Twitter. Twitter once had a mission to give everyone the power to create and share ideas and information instantly without barriers. Along the way, barriers nevertheless were erected, she added. Shadow banning Rank-and-file employees and executives at Twitter referred to so-called shadow banning as visibility filtering, or VF, according to Weiss, who said multiple high-level sources confirm this at Twitter. Weiss's report, published on Twitter, confirmed that the social media company deployed its so-called visibility filtering to make it hard for users to search for specific individuals, in other words, to blacklist their accounts. The visibility filtering tool also limited the scope of a specific tweet's discoverability, prevented certain users' tweets from ever appearing on the trending section, and blocked them from appearing in hashtag searches, according to Weiss. All without users' knowledge, she wrote. One senior Twitter employee told Weiss to think about visibility filtering as a way for the company to suppress what people see to different levels. It's a very powerful tool. Twitter shadow bans users quite a bit, one Twitter engineer reportedly told Weiss. We control visibility quite a bit and we control the amplification of your content quite a bit. And normal people do not know how much we do, the Twitter engineer reportedly said. Wise said that this was confirmed by two additional Twitter employees. Secret group blacklisted users. Twitter had a secret group who were above and beyond the everyday content moderators from the Strategic Response Team, Global Escalation Team, SRT-GET, that blacklisted users, according to Weiss. The secret group was known as the SIP-BPES, which stands for Site Integrity Policy Policy Escalation Support. The committee reportedly consisted of Vijaya Gaddy, Twitter's former head of legal policy and trust, Yoel Roth, Twitter's former head of global trust and safety, and former CEOs Jack Dorsey and Parag Agrawal, and others. While the SRT-GET handled up to 200 cases a day following the company's policy on paper, the SIPPES group existed at a level beyond official ticketing, beyond the rank-and-file moderators, Weiss reported. This is where the biggest, most politically sensitive decisions get made. Think high-follower account, controversial, another Twitter employee told us. For these, there would be no ticket or anything, Weiss added. We do not shadow ban. Weiss noted in her report the former Twitter executives had previously asserted in 2018 that the company did not target accounts with shadow bans based on their political views. Twitter denied that it does such things, Weiss wrote, citing Vijaya Gaddy, Twitter's former head of legal policy and trust, as well as Kayvon Bakepour, Twitter's former head of product. I wish these people didn't have such difficult names to pronounce. We don't shadow ban, Bakepour wrote on Twitter on July 26, 2018. Gaddy used Twitter's quote tweet function to add to Bakepour's assertion. Favouring one specific ideology or belief goes against everything we stand for, she wrote. In a joint blog post, Gaddy and Bakepour wrote, We do not shadow ban. You are always able to see the tweets from accounts you follow. Although you may have to do more work to find them, like go directly to their profile. 
and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. Libs of TikTok. The SIPPES group was tied to the decision to ban the popular Libs of TikTok account, which had been placed on the trend blacklist and was designated as do not take action on user without consulting with SIPPES, according to Weiss. The Libs of TikTok account, which was still blacklisted as of December 7th, was created by Chaya Rachik in November 2020 and grew to have 1.4 million followers. Rachik's account was suspended by Twitter seven times in 2022 alone and blocked from posting for as long as one week, Weiss reported. Twitter repeatedly informed Rachik that she had been suspended for violating Twitter's policy against hateful conduct, but an internal SIPPES memo from October 2022 revealed that the secret group noted that her account had, quote, not directly engaged in behaviour violative of the hateful conduct policy, end quote. Weiss reported that the committee internally justified Rachik's suspension by claiming her account encouraged online harassment of hospitals and medical providers by insinuating that gender-affirming healthcare is equivalent to child abuse or grooming. Compare this to what happened when Rachik herself was doxxed on November 21st, 2022. A photo of her home with her address was posted in a tweet that has garnered more than 10,000 likes, Weiss wrote. When Rachik told Twitter that her address had been disseminated, she says Twitter support responded with this message. We reviewed the reported content and didn't find it to be in violation of the Twitter rules. No action was taken. The doxing tweet is still up, Weiss added. Following Weiss's report, Rachik noted that a screenshot shared by Weiss revealed her Libs of TikTok account was still blacklisted as of December 7th. She raised the issue with Musk, who replied that he's looking into it. The Epoch Times has contacted Rachik for further comment. Weiss noted that there is more to come on this story that will be published on her website for the free press. Weiss said that part of her agreement with Musk to get access to Twitter's files was that the material would first be published on Twitter. We're just getting started on our reporting. Documents cannot tell the whole story here, she said. A third report on the so-called Twitter files will be published by Taby, Weiss said. And so on to Twitter files three. So I thought I'd use a different source for this one. This is just the news reporting. Third Twitter document dump details decision to ban Donald Trump. Musk has since restored the former president's access. And this was um, updated yesterday, December the 9th. The third release of internal Twitter documents on Friday evening detailed the momentous decision to remove former President Donald Trump from the platform after the January 6th riot, making clear that executives understood it was an unprecedented moment in the history of speech. Alternative journalist Matt Taby on Friday released the third set of internal documents as part of an Elon Musk-sanctioned effort to expose the platform's prior censorship practices. Twitter permanently banned Trump from using his personal account on January 8th. Musk has since restored the former president's access. Included in the dump was a screenshot showing an internal message from an unidentified individual asking if Trump was the first sitting head of state to ever be suspended. Taby began by promising to detail the erosion of standards within the company in months before January 6th, decisions by high-ranking executives to violate their own policies and more against the backdrop of ongoing documented interaction with federal agencies. He also detailed that his Friday tweet series would be the first of three addressing the matter, to be followed by separate document dumps from other journalists on Friday and Saturday. Taby then posted screenshots of communications between Twitter personnel on the decision to ban Trump, highlighting one communication from an unidentified executive asserting that the company needed to consider the, quote, context surrounding the decision, end quote, and Trump's past actions as much as the nature of a specific offending tweet. 
He asserted that the intellectual framework for making the decision to ban a sitting head of state fell into place months before the act. Late in the series, Taby indicated that, quote, Trump was being visibly filtered as late as a week before the election, end quote. Before January 6th, Twitter was a unique mix of automated rules-based enforcement and more subjective moderation by senior executives. As former New York Times editor Barry Weiss reported, the firm had a vast array of tools for manipulating visibility, most all of which were thrown at Trump and others pre-January 6th, read the ninth post in the series. As the election approached, senior executives, perhaps under pressure from federal agencies, with whom they met more as time progressed, increasingly struggled with rules and began to speak of vios as pretext to do what they'd likely have done anyway, Taby went on. He then acknowledged that the Safety Operations Department, which had a fairly stringent set of rules for handling disallowed content, clashed with some executives over the matter. He dubbed the more senior executives a high-speed Supreme Court of moderation, issuing content rulings on the fly, often in minutes and based off guesses, gut calls, even Google searches, even in cases involving the president. Included in the post was an exchange between former head of trust and safety, Yoel Roth, and an unnamed individual over a Trump tweet claiming a rigged election after Ohio had to reissue 50,000 incorrect absentee ballots. The exchange shows Roth reply to a query on whether the post violated company policy. Roth replied with an NPR article substantiating Trump's claims. The posts then segued into communications outlining regular meetings held between Roth and senior U.S. intelligence officials. One screenshot revealed a communication from a YOELR, presumably Roth, lamenting the platform's inconsistent approach to handling the New York Post story based on information from Hunter Biden's laptop. We blocked the New York Post story, then we unblocked it, but said the opposite, then said we unblocked it, and now we're in a messy situation where our policy is in shambles. Comms is angry, reporters think we're idiots, and we're refactoring an exceedingly complex policy 18 days out from the election, it read. In short, FML. The screenshot further indicated that the message was conveyed as part of a weekly meeting on election security between Roth and the FBI, Department of Homeland Security and the Office of the Director of National Intelligence. Taby then outlined Twitter's internal announcement of an L3 deamplification tool in December that would tie deamplification to warning labels attached to tweets. The significance is that it shows that Twitter, in 2020 at least, was deploying a vast range of visible and invisible tools to rein in Trump's engagement long before January 6th. The ban will come after other avenues are exhausted, came the next post. After many more posts, Taby began to divulge internal communications from Twitter about Trump's tweets on January 6, 2021. First, he showed a company-wide email from Vijaya Gaddy announcing that the platform had throttled three of Trump's posts and indicated that the platform was prepared to impose a permanent suspension for future violations. Next came a screenshot of a conversation reacting to Trump's tweet, telling supporters to, quote, go home with love and in peace, end quote. The Twitter executives were not placated. Taby's Friday Post series followed a similar release of internal Twitter documents by former New York Times editor Barry Weiss on Thursday, which focused on the company's visibility filtering practices. Taby himself last week made the first posts in what have become known as the Twitter files, detailing the company's efforts to curtail disfavoured viewpoints on the platform. So on to the Arizona election, and I want to start with a newsletter that came out from Mark Fincham, who was running for Secretary of State in Arizona. 
And it says, in addition to being a former criminal investigator and businessman, I also am Six Sigma certified. What does that mean exactly? Among other things, a Six Sigma certification means I have been specifically trained in identifying errors and problems in processes, and I know how to fix them. This is useful in engineering, it is useful in criminal investigation, and sure as shooting is helpful when it comes to analysing election fraud. When thinking of the fraud in Arizona, I can keep providing you all of the stories that keep breaking every single day of countless revelations that show exactly how damnable the election fraud in Arizona is and was. But the truth of the matter is this. The numbers don't lie and the numbers tell a very convincing tale. In fact, I'm reminded of what Arthur Conan Doyle once quipped in a Sherlock Holmes story. When you have eliminated all which is impossible, then whatever remains, however improbable, must be the truth. Today I'm going to tell you one or two things which are actually impossible. Here is the first one. It is mathematically impossible that Republicans lost the election day vote in Maricopa County. Let me break that down. The following graphic comes from Uplift, a company that tracked the on-the-ground ballot data on election day. What this graphic is illustrating is the percentage of voters that were Republican, Democratic or Independent by the hour. You can also see the all-day statistic on the left. What the left is trying to make us believe is an actual impossibility. If 100% of independents voted Democrat, something obviously false, then Republicans would still have won more than 50% on the, of the election day vote. And just as an just to explain that, the all-day count says that the Republicans had 52.7% on election day. The idea that Democrats won more than 50% of the election day vote is actually mathematically impossible. Logically and mathematically, this means the story the Democrats are telling and hoping desperately that you believe is a plot and a fabrication. Here is the second mathematical impossibility they want you to believe. The Democrats want you to believe that 25% of Republican voters voted Republican for state Senate candidates and then voted Democrat for statewide candidates. The Arizona Sun-Times says it well. Investigations are continuing into the election anomalies in Arizona, where Republicans performed fairly well except for in the top four Trump-endorsed races. Since there are 4% more Republicans than Democrats in the state, as well as in Maricopa County, and most of the Republicans were easily beating their Democratic opponents in mainstream polls, data and analysts are looking closely at the numbers. Analytics 805 examined the numbers of who voted in most of the races and discovered that Republican candidates outside of the four races performed incredibly well in contrast as much as 200% better. Analytics 805 founder Thomas Cole told the Arizona Sun-Times, we took the Arizona election numbers and made this chart to visually show the improbability of Carrie Lake losing, while the entire state of Arizona voted Republican for the state Senate and U.S. House races. We saw two to one Republican versus Democrat votes in the state Senate races, so it makes no sense to think those Republicans suddenly flipped to Democrat Katie Hobbs for governor by a 25% margin. I'm telling you this, looking at the entire body of all legal and fair elections that have ever happened in the history of this country, it is impossible that 25% of Republican voters voted Republican for state Senate and House races and then switched their votes statewide. It can happen around the margins, but to presume that one out of every four voters did this is beyond absurd. It's impossible. Thus, once again, Arthur Conan Doyle would tell us that whatever remains must be the truth. And what remains is that, once again, the Democrats are trying to pull the wool over our eyes. So this is the question. What do we do about it? Do we back down or do we fight harder than ever? I, for one, choose the latter. We must fight back hard if we want to save our elections. The Democrats want to deceive us. Will we let them? 
So now on to the lawsuits. This is reported by the Gateway Pundit. Breaking, Carrie Lake files 70-page lawsuit to throw out fraudulent Arizona midterm election results. Claims hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots, 59% of ED precinct machine failures, tens of thousands of illicit mail-in ballots, filing included. So that's just saying that they've included the 70-page document, which... I won't be going through as I won't have time. Republican Carrie Lake on Friday filed a lawsuit to nullify the 2022 midterm election results for the governor's race in the state of Arizona. On Thursday, Trump attorney Christina Bob previewed this historic filing. And it's a tweet from Daniel Baldwin. Carrie Lake's legal challenge will be one for the history books. Trump campaign lawyer Christina Bob previews Carrie Lake's lawsuit challenging the election results. Lake has pledged to file on Friday and that shows a video from OAN, One American News. The Gateway Pundit reported earlier that Carrie Lake filed her lawsuit. We now have the full document to share with our readers. Attorney Kurt Olson told the Gateway Pundit, we have put forward evidence that unquestionably shows that this election was stolen with illegal votes and likely fraudulent votes. The lawsuit begins. The eyes of the country are on Arizona. On November 30th, 2022, Rasmussen reports published a poll of likely US voters asking about the election day problems with vote tabulation in Maricopa County. This poll asked whether responding voters agreed or disagreed with contestant Carrie Lake's statement calling the election botched and stating, this isn't about Republicans or Democrats, this is about our sacred right to vote, a right that many voters were sadly deprived of on election day, November 8th. The results of that poll are stunning. 72% of likely voters said they agree with Lake's statement, including 45% who strongly agree. Never in US history has there been so much evidence compiled of a fraudulent election taking place. In the filing this afternoon, the Carrie Lake campaign claims hundreds of thousands of illegal votes were counted in the election. 59% of Maricopa County precincts had broken tabulators or printers on election day, disenfranchising voters and tens of thousands of illegal mail-in ballots were counted that did not pass signature verification requirements. The Gateway Pundit is reviewing the document that was presented in court on Friday afternoon. According to the filing, the number of illegal votes cast in Arizona's general election on November 8, 2022, far exceeds the 17,117 vote margin between Arizona Republican gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake and Democrat gubernatorial candidate Secretary of State Katie Hobbs, certified at the official state canvas on December 5, 2022. Witnesses who were present at the Maricopa County Tabulation Election Center, MC Tech, Runbeck Election Services, Runbeck, and a multitude of Maricopa County vote centers, as well as other facts meticulously gathered, show hundreds of thousands of illegal ballots infected the election in Maricopa County. More from the filing. Maricopa County's public statements concerning remaining ballots to be counted on November 9th, 2022 and November 10th, 2022 show an increase of approximately 25,000 votes with no explanation of why the number of remaining ballots could increase. Maricopa County officials also permitted the counting of tens of thousands of mail-in and drop box ballots that did not satisfy signature verification requirements. Here is an example of a certified signature on an Arizona mail-in ballot from the filing. The remedy for illegal absentee ballots is either to set aside the election under Miller 179 Arizona at 180, that's a presumably a, a lawsuit, or proportionately to reduce each candidate's share of mail-in ballots under Grounds 67 Arizona at 183 to 85. 
As set forth above, the Maricopa County Election Board and the election offices in Maricopa County engaged in misconduct that nullifies the results of the 2022 election in Maricopa County by failing to prevent the entirely foreseeable problems that afflicted the voting at vote centres on election day and by failing to allow to follow Arizona law with respect to signature verification and chain of custody. Carrie Lake's team of expert attorneys have gathered evidence from signed witness testimony, Dominion and Runbeck whistleblowers and Maricopa County whistleblowers to craft a 68-page lawsuit against Maricopa County and Secretary of State Katie Hobbs. They even got screenshots of text messages between IT workers hired by Maricopa County to fix election day problems. Judge Peter Thompson, appointed in September 2010 by Governor Jan Brewer, will rule on this case. And it shows the, um, the actual document in an insert of scribed. The Gateway Pundit will be posting updates from Arizona. And then we have just the news reporting that GOP's Hammaday files suit challenging Arizona AG race results. Many would-be voters claim that the problems in the state's most populous county rendered them unable to vote and effectively disenfranchised. And this was also published yesterday. Arizona Republican Attorney General candidate Abe Hammaday on Friday that he, in conjunction with the Republican National Committee, had filed a suit to contest the results of his race in Arizona. Today, my campaign, along with the Republican National Committee, has filed an election contest lawsuit, Hammaday tweeted. With all the votes tabulated, Hammaday stands 511 votes behind his Democratic opponent, Chris Mays, making the race the closest statewide contest in Arizona history. A recount is currently in progress. Hammaday pointed to what he called unprecedented and unacceptable issues in Maricopa County. The county has faced several reports of widespread irregularities and delays at polling locations on election day, including allegations that the machines did not count the ballots properly, ballot printing errors, extremely long lines, etc. Many would-be voters claim that the problems in the state's most populous county rendered them unable to vote and effectively disenfranchised. Local election officials contend that the issues did not prevent anyone from voting. The Republican previously filed suit in November, though a judge dismissed it as premature since Arizona requires that the state certify the election results before a candidate may challenge the election or the results. Hammaday's new suit follows a similar election contest from Arizona GOP gubernatorial candidate Carrie Lake. The other thing to note about this, and I haven't had the time to cover this particular article, but in the Twitter files, it seems also that um, Katie Hobb was asking Twitter to suppress certain accounts and certain um, tweets. And this actually goes back to 2021. So it wasn't related to the gubernatorial uh, midterm election it was um, when she was secretary of state obviously but there's a lot of speculation as to whether the the twitter files that are still to be released will actually reveal that she was also putting pressure on twitter to intervene in the midterm elections we'll have to wait and see but you know, it wouldn't. I wouldn't put it past her at all because she is definitely not a person of integrity. Now, I've just got a little bit of time left to let you know how the uh, GOP, how the Republicans are planning to deal with these Twitter files. And, of course, when they retain, regain the House in January, they are going to be launching a whole series of investigations. Just the News says, 
Um, they better be retaining lawyers. Ex-Twitter execs face GOP gauntlet as Musk exposes old regime. The, and it's as latest Twitter files dump calls into question former CEO's testimony under oath that Twitter doesn't shadow ban. Jim Jordan's Judiciary Committee plans to investigate ex-FBI Twitter lawyers' communications with Bureau ahead of 2020 election. Republican lawmakers are calling for hearings and criminal inquiries amid the steady release of government emails and internal Twitter communications, suggesting a coordinated effort to squelch disfavoured narratives on COVID-19 and elections and mislead Congress about the nature and extent of Twitter's content moderation decisions. Senate Commerce Committee Ranking Member Roger Wicker Republican Mississippi called on Chair Maria Cantwell, Democrat Washington, to hold a hearing on big tech censorship in light of the Twitter files that new owner Elon Musk is sharing with independent journalists Matt Taby and Barry Weiss. The first batch shows Twitter's process for censoring the New York Post's Hunter Biden laptop expose was haphazard at best with multiple employees questioning the hacked materials policy basis, Wicker told Cantwell Thursday. It's clear now that Twitter coordinated with a presidential campaign and the DNC to suppress speech. Senate Democrats can continue to block hearings even with the surprise defection Friday of Senator Kirsten Sinema, who said she won't caucus with Republicans. Georgia Senator Raphael Warnock's runoff re-election victory gives Democrats 50 seats, even if Sinema doesn't caucus with them either. And I must say that um, runoff is also questionable in terms of Raphael Warnock winning it. I think it's another case of election stealing. Senator Ted Cruz, Republican Texas, said former Twitter trust and safety head Yoel Roth, who quit two weeks after Musk's completed purchase, flat out lied in an affidavit to the Federal Election Commission about not communicating with Democrats or the Biden campaign to censor reporting on Hunter Biden's laptop. The FEC accepted Twitter's explanation that it blocked potentially hacked content from the laptop for bona fide commercial reasons and to enforce its policies. The Twitter files show the company had no concrete basis to believe the materials were hacked. Roth and everyone who lied under oath, they better be retaining lawyers in the face of real civil and criminal jeopardy, Cruz told Fox News. He's working closely with House Republicans to haul these people before Congress to testify under oath about their prior representations when the GOP takes over next year. Senator Cynthia Loomis, Republican Wyoming, told Cowboy State Daily she thought the Twitter files show government wrongdoing. The House Oversight Committee should investigate why the Hunter Biden laptop was alleged to have been a Russian-generated falsehood, Lummis said. The accumulation of accusations pointed at the FBI's Washington, D.C. Bureau is also worthy of serious investigation by Congress, she said, apparently referring to the recent deposition of FBI agent Elvis Chan in the federal big tech collusion lawsuit by Missouri and Louisiana. Representative Jim Jordan, Republican Ohio, who is taking the House Judiciary Committee gavel next year, told Fox News Friday the Twitter files may not even be complete because the guy vetting the release of this information is the same guy who was a key player in the FBI's now discredited Trump-Russia investigation. Musk fired Deputy General Counsel James Baker, who was previously FBI General Counsel Tuesday for covertly reviewing the first batch of the Twitter files before they were given to Taby, the journalist said. Baker's explanation for doing so was unconvincing, Musk tweeted. Jordan promised that Republicans will work to fully expose everything when they take the majority next year. He wants to know if any of the 51 ex-intelligence officials who called the laptop Russian disinformation on the eve of the 2020 election were talking to Baker at Twitter. 
Okay, so that's all I have time for. I do apologise for any background noise. It's been an absolute nightmare <laughs> to record this. I've had helicopters overhead. I've had motorbikes going past. So hopefully it's not going to be too bad. Anyway, that's all I have time for, as I say. Um, interesting times were living through i think this is the great reveal that we've been waiting for you know we've been waiting for d class i think we didn't expect to have this way for things to be revealed but uh, elon musk is doing a great job of releasing all of this no matter what you think of him so anyway i hope you'll join me for another cosmic creating show next saturday I'd like to thank Nancy for producing and also Derek Condit for being the sponsor of Cosmic Reality Radio. So until next time, stay well, be safe and bye for now. You have been listening to Cosmic Creating with Jan Shaw, updating current reality a production of CosmicReality.com. Thank you for listening to Cosmic Reality Radio. We appreciate your support. Please visit our sponsor at mysticalwares.com for our huge selection of metaphysical products, gifts, candles, incense, and one of the largest Shungite collections available. Cosmic Reality Radio is sponsored by Mystical Wares Online Store, where coupon code SAVE10 will get you 10% off your entire order at mysticalwares.com. <laughs>